it sounds like um, there's a basically a system administrator of some type for the government and had too many permissions and then decided he wanted to kind of flex. A young military officer leaks highly classified and sensitive military documents related to the Ukrainian war on a chat platform usually used by gamers. Sounds like a grade-A clusterfuck. What's it all mean? We ask Nick Berry, the head of offensive security at Ashura Inc., a cybersecurity firm, to help us straighten it all out. Welcome to What I See, the podcast where we uncover the stories of visionaries, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore the big ideas and challenges shaping our future. And now our hosts, Mark O'Donnell and Lewis Schiff. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm doing well, Lewis. Yourself? I'm excellent, thanks. I'm actually better than excellent because I'm going to be in the same city and the same place with you imminently. Uh, you are coming today live from the center of the universe, also known as Indianapolis, um, but more importantly, the more importantly, the EOS annual conference uh, that you preside over. So that's super cool that you're there and super cool that you have a few minutes to join me and, and have fun on our podcast. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. And, and thanks for, for the time and being together and coming to Indianapolis, making the, the trek. We have about 2000 entrepreneurs coming to connect and grow and, and strengthen their, their journey to becoming masterful EOS, uh, really EOS people, but more importantly, just entrepreneurs in general, uh, helping them get what they want from their business and, you know, making, make a dent in the universe. So Mark gets to basically hang out with 2000 of his closest friends for, for a few days. Yeah. And you know, it's really interesting because entrepreneurs as, uh, if anyone listening hangs around with entrepreneurs have a very specific type of culture that kind of comes with them. Uh, you, you put a bunch of risk takers in one place and you, you end up with a lot of smiles and a lot of dumb things happening, a lot of smart things happening too. <laughs> Seems to be like they go together. Yes, they, they yeah. do. I mean, you, you take enough risk, you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've been to enough of these large scale entrepreneur conferences yeah. uh, and I've, I've played a role in Jigsaw. Yep. It's, there's always stories afterwards, for sure. Uh, yeah. It, it's uh, So you and I, we met in the Inc. 500, 5000 world, the Inc. magazine world. And I would say that the U.S. conference is a little bit less of a party than the Inc. Uh, events were and probably still are. A little more down to business, a little more nuts and bolts. And I think the real reason that is, is... Uh, both visionary CEOs and their integrators, president, COO, the wet blankets of the world, they're also invited <laughs> along with their leadership teams. <laughs> and so it becomes a little bit less of a party, I think, because of that. Right, Don't tell Kelly Knight like, I said that. Visionary's like, I can find that sculpture in the lobby of the hotel. And the integrators are, yeah. no, you can't. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> no, you can't. That that's really dumb. Uh, you know, our insurance doesn't cover that, and all the real reasons why you shouldn't climb the monument in the middle of Indianapolis, however tempting it might be. <laughs> well, we have an exciting topic today that's ripped from the headlines, and the topic is 
everything that's been happening, um, the, the straw that broke the camel's back is this discord story where a young uh, military officer shared documents on discord, which is kind of a place for people to talk about anything and everything, a very good example of free speech. Um, and then lo and behold, some top secret documents got distributed. Um, I wonder if there's any EOS top secret documents that are being distributed right now on Discord uh, with, the, with the keys to the kingdom, the secret formula like Coca-Cola. Yeah, so we actually do have the EOS formula. Uh, and it was left on the table, uh, oddly enough, uh, a couple of days ago during our, our board meeting. But we went back and got it. Uh, <laughs> however, you know, the secret sauce is, uh, you know. I encourage everybody to create a secret sauce and, and share it with their employees. It helps with onboarding. But yeah, um, it, it's really <laughs> interesting uh, with, well, one, was it verified that it was uh, uh, through Discord and military um, personnel who did it? I yeah, well, so. let's, you know what? Let's, let's, let's bring on Nick Berry. Nick Berry is our special guest today. Nick Berry is the, he's a, um, calls himself an offensive security professional, which you're definitely going to want to find out more about what that means. It's a, he works for a company called Ashura, um, which is a cybersecurity company. Hey, Nick, thanks for joining. Hey, Mark, Lewis, how are you guys doing? Good, thanks. Awesome. Good to have so um, I want to get back to Mark's question because I, I, I certainly shouldn't be answering a question like that, but who knows if there's even a straightforward answer to it. But Nick, before we go there, Ashura and you're an offen offensive I mean, I've just met you. You're not offensive at all. I just want to say <laughs> yes. you seem like a very nice guy. But yeah. um, you're an offensive security professional. What does that mean? Yeah, so I'm the director of offensive security operations at Ashura. Um, and, and what that entails is we do vulnerability management, penetration testing, red teaming. Basically, we emulate the bad guys so that you don't have to wait until the real bad guys come and, and poke holes inside your organization. We'll, uh, we'll do it for you in a nice, friendly way and help you fix it after the fact. <laughs> not, not in an offensive way. <laughs> yes. and, um, and what kind of clients would, would you do that for? Uh, and any size, scope, shape client you can think of. Um, you know, uh, everybody's needing that type of thing these days, so, so we make it work for everyone. How much of that is driven by regulation? I mean, uh, and, uh, regulation in the broadest sense of the word. I mean, it could be that, hey, if you're going to work with a Fortune 500 company, before you can work with them, you have to document that you have protected yourself. It could obviously come from the government. But just, you know, compliance and regulation requires them to hire a company like Assure. A lot. Um, it's becoming more and more prevalent that you see like a penetration testing or some sort of vulnerability management requirement, either by regulation or even just third party risk. Yeah, it's such a fascinating area. I, I know that, um, you know, and, and this goes back to what Mark was talking about earlier. He's got a gathering of about 2000 entrepreneurs coming together. It is the case that entrepreneurs are usually successful, partly because money is being moved into their industry. In other words, you 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 can be good at something. But if the budget for that is increasing by 20 percent a year, you're going to look pretty smart. Uh, I'm not saying because uh, I know you're the principles of your company, Ashura. Uh, they're super smart people, but it's always good to be in the path of where budget is being allocated to. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and cybersecurity is definitely in that path. Yeah. 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 It's uh, definitely greenfield. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, I, I, I just I want to jump into our topic if that's okay, Mark. Um, yeah. But yeah. I also I do have a lot of questions about about how how private cybersecurity works these days. But we brought you on, to, Nick, to talk about this um, dust up, um, where basically a twenty one year old person um, seems to have access to something that he sort of very cavalierly shared over a gaming channel. And I just, maybe that's the wrong way to set this up and describe it, but what, what do you think happened? Like, how would you describe it? I would say that's pretty accurate um, based off of the information that's publicly available. It sounds like um, there's a, basically a system administrator of some type for the government and had too many permissions and then decided he wanted to kind of flex on, on some gaming discords and, and I've read that it was in some other areas as well. It wasn't limited to Discord, but that was where he was trying to show off to people. Yeah, I mean, one of the quotes I read, which I brought up here, is um, he basically says, here, have some leaked documents <laughs> to, in Discord. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, oh. it looks like, it. you know, I think people were trying to draw parallels to Snowden and that this was like a WikiLeak type thing. It's not. If you look at the interviews with his friends at the FBI and other three-letter agencies are now looking at, they're saying, you know, this guy was clearly just showing off. It had nothing to do with a morale, a sense of morale, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, right what could go else. wrong giving a... We, we, we all know, the science is pretty proven now, that the male brain isn't mature until about 28 years old. <laughs> So what could go wrong giving a 21-year-old male uh, access to these types of things? I mean, I'm not sure that's particularly intelligent. Speaking of intelligence. <laughs> it's funny you say that because in preparation for this, this conversation, that's kind of exactly what I was thinking is, you know, that's one downside or disadvantage that maybe the the government has inside the you know military space when it comes to security is they're bringing in these young people giving them these positions of really great power and they're not really ready for it they're not mature enough they're not responsible enough they may have the technical acumen to do them but that doesn't mean that they should be doing them and and i do think you're spot on with that in in some sense yes right but but here's the, but this is the problem is um like in a few minutes uh, you know, Nick will, I'm sorry, Mark will, um, in a few minutes, <laughs> in a few minutes, Mark, who's very, very busy, he's running a conference with 2000 people, is going to need something done at a relatively kind of mundane administrative level. And in order to do that, he's going to have to confide into, in somebody who's maybe 25 years old. And for 15 minutes or an hour, that person is going to know something that maybe would be dangerous if it got out. So, how do you function with the content and material and information flowing where we don't use low level people to help us get it done? And in that moment, those low level people are obviously, as you said, uh, not necessarily mature enough for the role that they've been put in. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge that I think the industry is facing as a whole it is young people are coming out more skilled because they've grown up with this. And so we do need them in the space. But we also have to recognize that sometimes there, there's a security risk there. And it's not always just young people. There's immature people of all ages that will do this of type of thing. <laughs> um, and so it's 
kind of a multi is, uh, not... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My, my father always says to me, son, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. Uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, there's some I mean, I'm technology. Just... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, so so does anyone in your industry have any genuinely practical structural thinking about how we ever actually can lock down information from people who shouldn't get it. Yeah. So there's a lot of good information out there about insider threat programs and really it's a multi-phase approach of kind of implementing zero trust architecture, which is not something that's necessarily defined and achievable. It's more of a concept of trust, but verify everything. Um, tagging all of your data. There's some some tools out there like Lapide or Acronis that will tag your data, find where all your sensitive data is in your network, look at permissions and, and watch those data flows. Uh, Phalanx is another tool um, that's up and coming where they're encrypting your data, they're watching it move through the network. So if you know where your sensitive data is, you can see where it's now being moved, who's looking at it, how long they're looking at it. Did they send it off to Discord? <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, and, and so that's going to be a big change uh, as it continues to evolve. Was part of the story that um, there was, it was in paper, that these critical documents were in paper, which was seen as a some sort of a barrier to this kind of thing happening. It was not digital and therefore could not fly all over the world instantly. It was in paper. Um, no, yeah, I, and exactly what all the the news outlets are reporting. He just transcribed all of it. <laughs> he got a hold of it and he sat there and he transcribed it until, you know, he, he had the whole thing written into Discord. So no, I, I don't think that that makes a difference. Um, it, it may even pose more of a challenge because then you don't know where it's at. It's not as easy to track as as a digital footprint is, where you're tagging right. and watching it move. Um, so I have watched one or two end um, of paper. Like... <laughs> I'd like to see the end of paper. <laughs> I have watched one or two um, like TV shows where you know there's terrorism going on and stuff, you know, dramas, and they will <clears throat> they will use gaming chat channels to talk, you know, as opposed to I don't know WhatsApp or texting each other. Um, and even actually, it's funny, you know, this is on the eve of um, the Fox Dominion trial being settled, where the big, whatever you think of that trial, the fact that all those documents were made public through a, through a legal discovery process. Um, I also remember reading, I don't know if this was true or not, but that the 40, 50, 60 year old mafia here in New York, where I am, keep getting caught because they're just addicted to texting each other. And, you know, it's just the easiest way to communicate. And they're like 80 year old fathers can't retire because the 50 year olds keep going to jail because they leave paper trails or written trails. Um, so <clears throat> I just threw a lot of things in there, but it's impossible to monitor all channels. Right. Um, but a digital world where we're texting each other, all sorts of stuff. I mean, uh, I have some friends in the NYPD. It's not too hard to catch kids these days because as soon as they do something stupid, they go on social media and talk about it. Yeah. Um, so what I'm just trying to figure out what's what's safe. I mean, then the obvious thing behind that is, well, how do we how do we have free press or how do we have free you know freedom to speak with each other privately? But what's out there that people think could genuinely be a safe way to share information? No, um, 
sharing it in the sense that it wouldn't be discovered by someone else is that is that you know confidential communications between another you know something that we use at assure is um signal um where everything is encrypted it's private um signal doesn't even have access to it on their end um so i would say you know that that's one of the tools that we use as a go to um it is definitely signal is a really good chat option great way to transfer things um but do you trust? You trust Signal? Yes, we do trust Signal. Yeah. I mean, beyond just that you're a trusting person? <laughs> yes, definitely um, not a trusting person. Um, as my CTO says, my evil bit is flipped to one. Um, so uh, I, I definitely am not a trusting person because I know what people can do because I do it to people for a living. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I'm definitely very <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Signal is that it, that's open source. I do use Signal from from time to time. Is that open source product that there's just a bunch of people? Is there even a company behind it? I believe there is. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head if it's open source or not, um, but yeah, I'm, I believe there is a company behind it. Yeah, it's a really interesting so, topic um, because. Sorry, a little delay. Um, I think it's an interesting topic. Uh, I, um, and I'd love your opinion on this particular one. Often, uh, my uh, integrator, the president of our, our company, both of us are spoofed to thousands of people on a regular basis. Hey, they get a text message that says, hey, this is Mark O'Donnell. Um, I'm stuck in a meeting and I need to get a gift card to a client. Can you please send me a hundred dollar gift card from Apple? And these happen weekly in mass to thousands. I mean, it's just so disruptive. Wow. Uh, how, when you, when you're, you're attacking people and, and spoofing, is that, I haven't found in our cybersecurity team has not found any real way to prevent that other than personal vigilance, people being aware that this doesn't make any sense. Any thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, definitely on the, the text message side, that's extremely popular to reach out to somebody and say, Hey, I'm so-and-so I'm stuck in a meeting and I need you to go buy gift cards. That is just, it's the uh, new Nigerian print scam <laughs> um, <laughs> of our day. So, um, no, there really is. Mark is sort of a Nigerian prince in a way. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> not really a good way to prevent that, um, you know, at this point when it comes to SMS, because it's coming to their personal phone. You know, they, they somebody goes out, figures out that they work for you. They go find their phone number and they reach out to them directly. At the end of the day, they have to have a healthy sense of, you know, suspicion. Is Mark really going to reach out to me at seven o'clock on a Friday and say he needs a thousand dollars worth of iTunes gift cards scratched and sent to him? Probably not. Uh, you know? <laughs> um, so I'm really, lovely. really end user awareness training is probably the best solution there. Yeah. Now that is what we've always heard from cyber experts is that the greatest threat in your to, to your company is inside of your company. Yeah. Still true. Yeah, um, you know, studies are now showing that it's becoming less and less insider threat and more actual vulnerability based um, through web applications. So as we continue to shift to SaaS platforms where you're having your 
app, business, line of business applications that used to be on your desktop are now out in the cloud and anybody can get to them um, unless you're really locking them down. Um, you know, we're starting to see more and more as some of the bigger organizations that do studies, Panamon Institute, Verizon, um, that those are becoming kind of the bigger way to get into organizations is, is kind of their cloud and web apps. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that, yes, end user is always going to be an issue. You give people permissions because you trust them to do their job. They click a link, they give away some sort of information they shouldn't have, and now you're on the front page of the news. I, I don't think that's ever going to change. <laughs> the the we don't and we don't talk about the word blockchain in a kind of the trendy way we used to a few years ago. But is the word blockchain relevant in any of this in terms of how we secure information, track information? Yeah, track it down. Yeah, I think for sure. Um, you know. Blockchain definitely is not as trendy as it originally was. Now AI is the new thing with ChatGPT and all that. But um, yeah, I think that blockchain technology, especially for tracking and traceability of access of um, you know documents such as these being moved across networks, things like that, um, is definitely still relevant. And I think as time goes on, we're going to see more and more companies leveraging that. Mark, remember when we spoke about the Chinese uh, weather balloons and, you know, yeah. just trying to understand, um, obviously there was a ton of interest in that and, and emphasis on that. And it was sort of half silly, half serious. Um, what is your profession's take on this discord incident? Is it half silly, half serious, or is it more of one or the other? Yeah, I would say it's probably half silly, half serious. You know, uh, I, I know from personal experience through doing some investigations and also just getting into that side of the world, uh, um, kind of the dark web. I think that traditionally was considered what they call Tor, the onion routing network, is now moving a lot into these chat spaces um, where they're not doing their business behind the scenes. They're just taking it out onto these Discord servers, Telegram, places like that, and they're doing nefarious things because they're powerful engines for doing that. Um, but it's also kind of silly in the sense that you're going to get caught, <laughs> especially if it's on Discord. Discord does monitor. They have administrators at Discord that monitor these servers. If you're doing something dumb, they probably will catch you at some point. It may not be for a year, may not be for two years, but they will probably catch you at some point. Yeah. And that is that does kind of go back to the, to the sort of male brain. <clears throat> you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the young male brain continues to do dumb things even after they get caught. I mean, somebody is going to do this again, oh, yeah. some 20 something year old is going to do it again uh, because they just don't know how to, know how to process that, that the consequences of these things. Yeah. Yeah. In the moment, the, the ability to show off that you have these extremely powerful documents probably outweighs the, the consequences in his mind. And um, it's going to continue to happen. We, we all like to, to flex on each other a little bit every once in a while. And that's, that isn't going to change, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that is hardwired um, forever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. What's your industry's um, take these days on stuff like uh, the the digital ransom stuff that was happening? Maybe still is happening, where they'll grab all your data and then insist on fifty thousand in Bitcoin to release it. Um, how's that going? Because that was a friend that was sort of up there with the Nigerian princess and the Marco Donald gift cards. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, ransomware is still, still a huge threat. It's 
it's something that the industry has become more focused on. And so, you know, network segmentation, stopping ransomware from spreading, figuring out how to respond to ransomware um, has become kind of the, the big focus. And so being able to recover from ransomware, do you pay, do you not pay? Do you involve cyber liability insurance? Um, and what are they gonna tell you to do? So right. that's that's been a big shift. Um, overall, you know, the recommendation often is don't pay. You have no guarantee that once you pay, you're going to get your stuff back. And you also don't have any guarantee that once you pay, they're still not going to leak all of your data. Um, so sometimes it's better to just bite the bullet, start over, or if you can recover, recover where to back to where you can. Mm -hmm. So you we feel like your industry with... is, oh, sorry, Mark, you got it. Yeah. Our, our delay is killing us here. Um, so uh, one of the questions I would have for you, we work with companies you know, maybe they're 10 employees, 250, uh, maybe a little bit bigger. So not every one of them has the, the resources to hire a company like yours to red team them and, and try to take them down in a friendly way uh, so they can protect themselves. What are like three to five steps that you would give them that, hey, if you just do these, these few things, you're going to be 80% of the way there, 80% protected. Yeah, that's a that's a difficult question, to be honest, um, because organizations vary so much in what they do, how they do it, why they do it. Um, I would say if I had to give you a top three things to do, it would be one, identify where your sensitive data is and ensure that only those who need access to it have access to it. And and that's not necessarily just sensitive data, but also your assets. If you have a server out there. Not everybody should have access to it, and they certainly shouldn't be an administrator of it. Um, having good end user security awareness training, um, making sure they know not to click on things, don't go to bad websites, don't sign up for things with your company email, that type of stuff. Um, and then, you know, kind of finally, I would say a, a good endpoint protection tool, whether, you know, we use Sentinel One. Um, there's there's plenty out there. CrowdStrike, Carbon Black, a good strong backup to just most people are using Windows in a business environment. So backup to Windows Defender, which is is good on its own, but some sort of backup to that um, is always good insurance. It's not a silver bullet, but it's good insurance. Mm -hmm. Now I was thinking. I'm so glad you asked that question, Mark, because I was thinking if I you know invite a plumber to my house because I've got a leaky toilet. I pretty much consider the job done when the toilet's not leaking anymore and operates as it's supposed to. In your industry, it, that's not the conversation. Nobody ever actually totally solves any problem. You, you, you do something, maybe you did 80% right, maybe you did less or more than that, but no one ever can tell you this is how we solve the problem. Yeah, um, you know, security is something that you're always trying to work towards and strive to. It's not something that you achieve. Similar to um, zero trust, that's the big thing going on right now is zero trust models. And um, there's companies out there that will claim to sell you zero trust. And it's not something that you can buy. It's not something you can own and have. It is a concept and security is a concept that you're you're trying to work towards. So that's definitely true, yeah. Not going. What is your industry? What is your industry um, talking about these days when it comes to the Discord kid and the Discord case? Is it 
we can't talk about this stuff because there's always leaks. I mean, what do you want us to do? Like lock down the entire world or are they saying something else? Yeah. You know, it, it also comes back to, I think what your industry is, you know, obviously in the military, it's a whole different ball game. Um, you know, if you're an organization where your data getting out is not a big deal, it's often not the case. You don't generally have something confidential that makes you unique and worth being around. Um, but there's some organizations that are probably less worried about it. If you have something, some real important IP, um, you know, intellectual property that you need to really protect, then yeah, it is a strong concern. You know, they are worried about discords, telegrams. How are we monitoring our people? And are they putting this data in places it shouldn't be? Not just in chat rooms, but are they putting it on their personal devices? Are they putting it in their own Google Drive? Are they, where is this data going and why? Yeah, I mean, we haven't even gotten to that. Everyone carries a smartphone now. Exactly. So yeah. you're walking in with a giant exposure in your hip pocket. Yeah, I used to work in nuclear and we, I was in physical security. And as people were coming through, we were kind of like airport security there. Just you had to go through a whole slew of things to get in. And we would check to see if someone had a physical camera, like, you know, a DSLR camera or something like that. And we would deny it if it wasn't allowed inside the facility. But we didn't pay attention to the fact that everybody was walking in with a smartphone. And I'm like, the industry and that's just par for the course, right? These industries are so far behind. They're not even, you know, they're not seeing the forest for the trees in some senses. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, the other thing I've been wondering about is, um, just this idea of sort of, well, I guess it's the same thing. It's just trust full stop, um, that, you know, everyone in a military facility is now a, is, is, is a potential leak. Yep. And how how does one even work in an environment like that? I mean, it hasn't found its way into corporate, although there are probably parts of corporate where they act that way. I think if you're an investment banker, they all get paranoid about the data getting out. But what's it like to work in those environments where, where I know you're using the word zero trust differently, but where there's zero trust? <laughs> no, I think that's exactly what it means. You know, there, you should only trust somebody to the extent that, that you need to. Um, that doesn't mean on a personal level, you distrust them and you're not going to be friendly with them and, and that type of thing. But it's just from a professional practices standpoint, only give them access to exactly what they need, when they need it, and determine why they need it. And that's kind of that zero trust mindset is, you know, we're going to give you access to X, Y, and Z. Once you're into that system, we're going to act again, check to see if you're allowed to access this application. Then once you're in that application, we're also going to see that you're allowed to access this specific data. And it's a multi-layered approach where you never just say blanketly, oh, hey, you're allowed into this military facility, so you must be allowed to see everything else inside of here. It's at each door, there needs to be a step where they're checking and saying, okay, are you allowed to this point, to this point, to this point? Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you're setting forth that as an expectation inside your organization that we trust you guys in the sense that I wouldn't hire you if I didn't, but we're still going to make sure that you are accessing data in a responsible way and accessing only what you need to, to do your job. 
Yeah. There's an opportunity for bias of 18 different kinds of bias. No doubt. And it's also, I mean, there's a level of healthy, productive paranoia in there because people make mistakes. No one's perfect. We leave things out uh, on a regular basis because, well, we're human. Um, And I would imagine that uh, a company or any organization really has to be very good at assessing real risk. I've, I've seen quite a few uh, individuals who have gone the pendulum on their paranoia swung so far where the reality is what they were protecting. It was very low risk, if any. And they were, they were just sort of creating a, a culture of paranoia uh, without being thoughtful about the, the risk that they're actually experiencing. Um, how, how do you talk to people, the people that you work with, about assessing real risk versus just locking everything down. Yeah. So, you know, kind of from a programmatic perspective, um, figure out what your, what is your business about, right? You know, what's mission critical to you, you know, how you make money and you start there. So business impact analysis, where you're figuring out, here's all the different things that our business does, how critical are each one of those things? What's the data associated with it? What's the processes, the people, the assets? Um, Figuring out that and creating a prioritized kind of list of, here's all the things we do, here's what's important, Can't, can't go away, can't get lost, can't whatever. Here's things that we can live without, and here's things we don't care about at all, because there are those things inside your, excuse me, organization that at the end of the day, this system could go down and nobody would notice for a week. Sometimes systems can go down and they never notice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and same thing with data, you know, data becomes unavailable. There's certain data that you may not notice that it was unavailable for a month and it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so figuring out what's important to the organization through, you know, kind of a programmatic approach. So business impact analysis, data classifications, formal risk assessments um, to figure out what are the risks to this data, to these systems, to these processes, and how do we address them? And then just being realistic with it. Um, You know, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's really come up with a good, uh, solid way to anticipate risk. Could the building burn down? It could. You know, you want to go across the industry and figure out how often this type of building burns down and, you know, X, Y, and Z, and then figure out what are we going to do to stop that? You know, it's sometimes it's something just part of operating that you just have to accept. Mm -hmm. There's risk in everything. I'm curious. um, I'm curious. uh, What's the latest and greatest in identifying that you are who you say you are? You know, we've got passwords, we've got fingerprints, we've got retina, you know, on and on and on. What's the latest and greatest about where that's headed? Oh, um, there's there's so many different ways to do it these days. Um, you know, we are big fans of just typical multi-factor authentication without overcomplicating it. Um, some sort of phishing resistant multi-factor authentication is typically good. Um, SMS, those, the days of getting SMS text messages for multi-factor are kind of long gone. Um, it's better than nothing. If you're not doing anything, do that. <laughs> but uh, some sort of phishing resistant 
There's a lot of work being done in the FIDO2 space, so like a YubiKey or some sort of physical access token. Um, and, and so I think that we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, I don't know that biometrics are really quite there yet. You know, I I, I would I think that would be neat, but um, it, it seems to be right now that you know an access token is becoming more prevalent again, um, where you're using keys. And uh, just curious, um, I mean, I don't we don't know what was inside this military facility, but um, is, is there any mechanism like that that does exist that possibly was um, not used or over overlooked? In other words, uh, was there some technical system in place to prevent this that broke? You know, I don't think we'll, I don't know that we'll ever know that <laughs> um, because I'm not sure that they want us to know that if, if that was the case. But I, I mean, it's certainly possible um, that there was supposed to be some sort of control in place to prevent this and there wasn't. Um, it, it sounds to me like, unfortunately, they have a large network. They have a very disparate network where there's all sorts of inter interconnections between various branches of the military departments, you know, offices. And oftentimes what's easiest is to give your IT staff just everything, right? Yeah. And so they're, I hate to say it, but there probably wasn't anything impeding this gentleman from going and doing this. He probably just had blanket access to everything and took advantage of it. You know, looking back at the Snowden situation, it was similar. He was like a SharePoint system administrator. Had no business being in this part of the network or something. Uh, I, I don't remember the particulars of it, but I just remember when it all came out, everyone was going, why did he even have access to that? Yeah. Similar to that. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. it, unfortunately, we get over-permissioned. Mistakes get made, yeah. as Mark said, and that's what happens. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I uh, just a quick question um, from a security perspective, and then and Lewis was mentioning mobile. We're walking around with these vulnerabilities in our pockets. Uh, if you're worried about cybersecurity, iOS, Apple, or Android? Oh, <laughs> good one. I am an Android person myself. Not necessarily because of the security components of it. Um, I like the freedom to be able to do what I want with my phone um, because I do like to tinker and hack on things. And so I like to be able to customize my phone in a way that, that works for me. Um, Josh, my CTO, would kill me if I did not say iOS, Apple is the best for security. So, um, I, you know, there, there's arguments on both sides. I would say from what I've seen, iOS and Apple is probably the best for security. I won't say that on operability and enjoyment, but for security. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Got yeah, it. but that is the rub of it all. That yeah. is the rub of it all. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's always a trade-off. Always a trade-off. All right, Nick. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today to give us the lowdown of what's happened out there in Discord and the wild world of uh, cybersecurity. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye-bye. I appreciate thanks it. Thanks so much. I, it's such a funny thing to work in an industry. I guess it's true of entrepreneurship too, but it's a funny thing to work in an industry where there is no right answer and everyone's just doing the best they can. And that, that example of the, you know, your, your building may burn down one day or your office may burn down one day. Like you, you just have to live with that risk at some point instead of, thinking that there's a solution to this problem. You really do. And 
when you have, which I think is a little bit different than most entrepreneurial companies, and maybe not, maybe the competitors are, are doing this, but they are working in a world in which people are actively, creatively uh, going around the obstacles and barriers that you set up to prevent them from doing what they want to do. And they have these nefarious aims, which has you know, been the, the case since all of human history that you put up a wall, someone's going to want to go around it just maybe because there's a wall or maybe because there's something on the other side that they want. Um, which I don't know that in, in most entrepreneurial companies, there's a group that is actively out to get you. There's actively trying to destroy whatever it is that you're, you're building, which I think puts it in a little bit of a unique and difficult and maybe demoralizing industry in general. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I totally agree. It sounds like a tough place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, good thing the world has people like Nick helping uh, protect us all yeah. from people who mean us harm. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right, Mark. Well, um, good luck in Indianapolis. I'll see you there in a few hours. All, all right, Lewis. Right, we'll see you in a so bit. Much. We'll see you. Okay. Thanks for listening to another episode of What I See, where we explore the stories of the visionaries shaping our world. We hope you found insights and inspiration from our guests. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and continue to be a part of the conversation. See you next time on What I See.